Hello, and welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director here at Bayside. This week, we are talking with Pastor James Carson and discussing Isaiah chapter 50, 1 through 7, the perfect servant. We hope you enjoy our conversation today. All right, so this week on the podcast, we're with Pastor James, and we're in Isaiah chapter 50. Um, I want to take a moment before we jump into the discussion questions to talk about some of the illustrative language and prophetic allusions in the passage this week, because so far in the last couple of weeks, it's been pretty straightforward. These have been uh, oracles from God saying, this is what I'm going to do. And this week, we've got a lot of language that foreshadows uh, a lot of what Jesus experienced and his personality, and we'll go from there. So in verse 1, it's talking about the certificate of divorce or being sold into slavery, and this is to illustrate the current state of the northern kingdom. In verse 2 and 3, calling them to remember uh, the deliverance from Egypt. Now, if we remember where they were uh, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, uh, and I'll read from chapter 2, this is verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Mm. Now, Isaiah is saying something different uh, about the hearts of the people here, because God is calling out to his people, and no one is responding. As a nation, they are not crying out for help. Last week, we discussed with Pastor Dave that Isaiah is writing this during the northern kingdom's exile captivity in Assyria. And then about a hundred years before the southern kingdom falls to Babylon. This question God asks from verse 2. Is my hand shortened that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? In other words, they are in captivity because they have disobeyed God, but they grumble about their situation rather than to cry out for help. John records Jesus explaining it this way. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, moving on to verse 4, 5, and 6, these prophetic qualities we see in the personality of Jesus. We see that he had wisdom uh, beyond what we'd expect from the son of a carpenter. He's not a rebel like what they experienced with the Maccabean Wars. He obeyed the Father. And verse 6 lists some specific things that happened to Jesus during his mock trial. Now, Pastor James, you mentioned some of these, these things, uh, this wisdom uh, of Jesus as a young boy uh, in the temple from the sermon on Sunday. Yep. And that comes from? Yeah, that comes from Luke 2, verses 46 and 47. And basically, you know, after you know, his parents, you know, went to Jerusalem, they celebrated Passover. They were on their way back, and they kind of assumed that he was somewhere with them, you know, in the, the caravan that they were traveling with. And he wasn't, you know, so Sunday, you know, I kind of just kind of made the joke about feeling lonely and abandoned. You know, they lost, they had lost the Messiah. They, they knew who he was. They knew that 
they had the Messiah, that that Jesus was the Messiah, their son was the Messiah, he was God. And, you know, they lost him. Speaking about wisdom, they they found him after three days, they found him in the temple. And you know, it's interesting that it took him three days to find him, you know. In hindsight, of course he was found in the temple. You know, we you know, we could assume that, but you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but his parents, you know, they probably were searching everywhere, you know, the place where they stayed, you know, the whatever, you know, they it took him three days to find Jesus and when they did find him, he was sitting among the teachers, among the religious leaders, and you know, scripture tells us, you know, they were amazed. Like the the, the teachers of the law, the, the the you know, the pastors, if you will, you know, in the temple, like they were just amazed at the questions that Jesus was asking. They were amazed at uh the response to their questions when Jesus himself was asked questions. So it's just, you know, yeah, as a 12-year-old, Jesus just had this crazy wisdom that it's not, you know, paramount to that of a son of a carpenter. You know, he he had wisdom, and it wasn't just heart knowledge. You know, it was definitely head knowledge, too. So now in verse 7, 8, and 9, these are foreshadowing the results of the obedience of the servant. Uh, he was not disgraced, not put to shame. Uh, he was vindicated. There were no contenders to challenging him. He was found guiltless. And verse 10 and 11, these are the prophetic outcomes for those who obey or disobey this perfect servant. We have reverence for God and obey his word. Trust him even if you walk in darkness. Walk in his light. Walk in our own light, uh, and this will lead to our own destruction. Those are just some of those different illustrations. We have many different scripture verses that, that hit on those things about where do we walk in light, those who walk in darkness. Uh, one question that came through about the sermon is uh, a specific talking about those who carry the torches. If that wasn't an allusion to Jesus' arrest there in the garden, I, we can hypothetically believe that maybe it was an illusion. Uh, nothing happens by accident in the scriptures. Well, there's a reason why they did it at night, like, you know, under the cover of darkness. So I think that absolutely that that was a, you know, an illusion or you know a prophecy even about it. Potential prophetic connection to yeah. to the events. Yeah. Yep. And then so as I was just going through the text and stuff, that's definitely in the back of my head and it's like absolutely nothing happens by by chance so absolutely you know i think it do, does have a thing there but in, and looking at looking at the scripture it's like you know judas betrayed him and what happened to him you know under the cover of darkness you know so they went with torches you know in the middle of the night to arrest jesus he betrays him and what happened hours later like scripture said it's he ended his life in torment. All right, so let's move on to the discussion questions for the week. Uh, the first question that you asked was, what is Israel's objection found in verse 1? How does God argue that the exile is not proof of his abandonment? What do they and what do we need to remember about God? And this is talking about verses 2 and 3. Yep. So thinking about the context from God's response. 
There's a lot of words that we can use to describe how the Israelites are acting. I'll use the word indignant. Uh, like that teenager that thinks that they know better than their parents. I've been that person. I'm sure most people have, have had a kid of that age. Sometimes they might be seven years old and they're pretty indignant. But we all have those moments where we look at our children and we go, you don't know what you're talking about. Here's the real story. Oh, absolutely. Israel was that rebellious teenage child, you know. You know, and as I stated, you know, in the sermon on Sunday, you know, they had failed or they had walked away from God time and time again. You know, they were rebellious. And we see that multiple places throughout the Old Testament, even choosing a king, you know, like, you know, that was one example. Um, The grumbling and complaining of them in the wilderness, you know, and even frustrating Moses, you know, it's just like time and time again, like they... It seems like they did nothing but argue and complain and grumble against God. So it's really not really that surprising that we see this this level of uh, thought, I guess, that, you know, they really felt that they were abandoned by God, you know, that God was the reason that they were in exile. God had made a promise to him that this is what was going to happen. He said it many, many times. So they had ran off to their foreign gods, but God promised and still promises to us that he will never leave us nor forsake us because we are his children talking about those israelites that that like to complain my one of my favorite stories is um, they're at the mountain where moses goes up and the people are complaining to aaron and aaron makes the the golden calf and then when moses confronts him about it he's like i just threw the gold to the fire and out came the cow i don't know what happened that's just how he explains it to his brother that's funny on the surface. Yeah, I'm sure Moses took that for what it was. <laughs> like, yeah, right, Aaron. Like, I know better than that. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't born yesterday. Now, the second question you asked, how do verses 1 through 7 help us to understand Jesus and his mission? How does that help us to trust and worship him? One parable that Jesus taught that, that helps me solidify my my thoughts on this question was the parable of the tenants and this is a great example of the mission of jesus uh so in short there's a couple places in the new testament where you can find uh, versions of this but in short the parable says that the landowner this is god planted a vineyard and hired tenants to care for it the tenants represent the the children of israel and specifically uh, the leaders of the nation, and and maybe even so to the, the to the tribe of Levi, to the priesthood. Now, uh, then came the harvest. He sent servants to get some of the fruits of the vineyard. The tenants beat and killed many of the servants. The servants represent the, the many prophets that God had sent over the thousand or so years of of the nation of Israel. And what did they do to the prophets historically? They, they beat them, they threw them out, um, they abused them, they didn't listen to them. And so God here is making the point that this is how you treated my servants. Uh, then the landowner sent his son, his beloved son, is what Mark records it as. And Mark 12, he says, finally he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. Uh, and and then the text continues to say that they killed him. They killed the son. 
And God commissioned Jesus to come to do his will and work. The parable ends by explaining the outcome of the wicked tenants, that God destroyed them and gave the vineyard to others. I think that that's a parable of tenants is a perfect uh, portrayal of this situation that we're in. God sent throughout the years so many people, whether it was Moses, Aaron, Joshua, the prophets, like so many people that God sent who, yeah, Israel would follow and listen for a while, but then for whatever reason, you know, they would turn, well, as any teenager, they would turn a deaf ear. They knew better. You know, they were wiser. Um, and then, yeah, then the landowner sent his son. Yeah, so God, you know, being just, he's like, you know what, I'm going to send my son because he is the only the only one that can give us life. He is, you know, the debt that he will pay, he's the only one who is able to pay that. And then, so yeah, going back to the parable of the tenants, yeah, same thing, you know. So there was a group of people who listened to Jesus, who followed Jesus, um, but you know, at the end of the day, there's a bigger group who wanted to crucify him. They wanted to kill him. They didn't care. They didn't believe and they didn't care that he was the son of God. So, yeah, I, I love that that parable. And then, you know, the parable ends by explaining the outcome of the wicked tenants. Well, I just like that because that shows us what the future will hold. You know, God's got it. And at the end of the day, death will be defeated. You know, Satan will be defeated, and Christ will come back to reign. That's just why one reason why the parable of tenants is such a cool story. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to the third question. What is the source and what is the cost of the servant's obedient suffering? This is focusing on verse 4 through 6. The text tells us several times, The Lord God has given. He awakens, has opened my ear. Now, the cost this perfect servant paid is similar to what we can expect if we are obedient. And, but so are the, the assurances. So when we're thinking about um, this, this question, the, the Lord God, that statement, when I, I did a little look at the Hebrew, um, it, it, what, that's a very highly regarded because it's Adonai Yahweh. Put both of those high high names for God in the Jewish language right next to each other, that this is a very special text. So it's not just God, not just Lord. This is like, this, this is serious. This, this, is, is, serious. Yeah. this is a serious promise. Yeah. When you think about um, a bond servant, they are paid to go do a job and they don't get paid the full payment until the job is done. And, and they are at the will of that master. So this was the power, the seal, comes from, from God. Um, it's, it's like the, in the Roman times the, where they would melt the wax and they have the signet ring. It, it's that important. Uh, Ephesians actually uses that kind of language, uh, how we are sealed in, in the Holy Spirit. And then John talks about that, that unbreakable seal uh, in Revelation, that only one had the power to break that, and, and that is Jesus, because the power came from God. God gave him the authority to yeah, do all yeah, of that. Yeah, that was the source. You know, he, like you said, that, you know, 
the Lord God, you know, my, he says, my Lord God helps me. You know, he had this, we'll call it crazy faith, you know, that God was with him. Like, there was no question in his mind. There was no doubt. His power came from God, and, you know, that is so evident. So question three leads into question four. What assurances help the servant persist with his obedience to the Lord's will, uh, whatever the personal cost? And it's that the power came from God, but so did God didn't just say, here you go and leave him. No, God was with him the whole time that he vindicates me, like you said, and then he defends me. So our natural conclusion is that for us, if we if we extend that to, to where we are in faith, that we can't do anything on our own strength as well, which is also that, that closing statement there in verse 11, that we can't walk in our own uh, light, that we have to, to walk in the light of God. You know, what was the personal cost to Jesus? No matter where he went, you know, it seems like there's always crowds, you know, gathering. Even when he would try to go away alone, crowds would gather and follow him. You know, so, you know, part of the personal cost to Jesus was time and space. And, you know, he really didn't, he was never alone. Yeah. You know, from probably from the time, you know, he met up with John the Baptist, he called his first disciples. He probably wasn't, a, wasn't alone until, like, really, till he was put on the cross. He always had people there with him. And, you know, another way that he was that cost him was just the physical and you know the brutal beating and you know pulling out his beard the crown of thorns that was jammed on his head like you know the flogging you know the cat of nine tails like it's just after all that having to carry the cross like it's just it's very very brutal and it was a lot of personal cost to the servant you know i don't mean to go back to the you know I think it also touches on the previous question, but, you know, for assurances, yeah, it's just, he just knew that God was there with him. He, that he covered it. He didn't, it wasn't about him. You know, talk about, you know, I, you know, I saw the news this morning that I wasn't sure what exactly the point of the, the newscast was, but basically they're talking about how selfish the world has become. And, how everything is all about me, 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 and what I want, and you know we don't care about others in our society anymore, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And you know, Jesus, there was none of that. You know, the only me that he ever referred to was stating that he had come to give life. You know, like and what's the selfishness in that? You know, that's selflessness. I think that's that's a cool thing. Like it's just amazing to me that. Out of anyone in the world, he would be the one who would have an excuse to be selfish. Right. But he wasn't. Right. And that was actually one of the temptations that was thrown at him, was that, you know, you don't have to do this. If you if you uh, throw yourself off the temple, is what Satan was trying to tempt him with, is if you fall off of here, if you jump off here, you know, God will send angels to protect you. Yeah. And <clears throat> Jesus still didn't bend to those temptations. All right. Uh the fifth question, what is involved in the two alternative responses presented in verses 10 and 11? And what are their outcomes? In what ways might we be tempted to kindle our own fires? So 
when we try to light our own fires, uh, even with the best intentions, we put ourselves at odds with God. You know, one of the ways that this happens is, is, is in raising our children. You know, there's an unending line of books that tells us how to raise our kids or how not to raise them. And like the medical community stance on the health benefits of eating eggs, one resource contradicts the next one. But there is a consistent resource that has been helping us raise kids for thousands of years. If we look to God first and use Him as our fatherly or our parental example, then there is nothing that we can't handle. We might still get an indignant teenager, but our response would surely be more about grace than retribution, if God is our example. There was like 500 years between the time of David and the time that both kingdoms had fallen. And in those 500 years, very little of those times were they obedient. That's, 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 that's plenty of time for them to make those good choices, and they didn't. But God, knowing that they weren't going to be able to serve him perfectly, had already had plan A. Jesus wasn't plan B. Plan A was to send Jesus to redeem the whole uh, population of earth, not just like we talked about with uh, Pastor Dave last week, that, you know, it wasn't, Jesus wasn't just sent for uh, the people of Israel. He was sent for everyone. And God's response to us is still about grace. And, And it was not an easy time for them in exile. But God still loved them, and he still sent them many opportunities to be able to serve him and love him. And well, just like the prodigal son. Yeah. You know, Israel was the prodigal son, and as we learned in the first few verses, that you know God didn't provide a certificate of divorce. He didn't sell them to any creditors. God was there the whole time. You know, the prodigal son was the one that, that walked away, turned his back. Mm-hmm. And, you know... God is always right there, ready and willing to, to take us back. You know, he, but yeah, he doesn't turn his back. He doesn't hold the fact that we walked away from him time and time and time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. He doesn't hold that against us. You know, he's already forgiven us before we were even born. Right. And, like, and that's just the cool thing about God, you know. So next week, we move to Isaiah 52 and uh, suffering servant. So this this week, this past week, was the obedient servant. So Pastor Ken will be sharing with us next week, which is Palm Sunday, the suffering servant from Isaiah 52, then your first few verses of Isaiah 53. And this will be a two-part sermon, so we're going to do the first half with Pastor Ken, and then Pastor Dave will finish up on Sunday for Easter. Okay. All right, so again, if you're listening, we have cards for inviting your neighbors uh, to the Easter services. Uh, Our times for Good Friday is, that's April the 7th at 7 p.m. And then Easter Sunday, we have three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Check out our website if you haven't already or look in the app and make sure that you have all the information you need. Uh, And we look forward to spending those times with you.
thank you for joining in our conversation today. Thank you, Pastor James, for the time and for bringing the Word of God to us on Sunday. And we hope that you all have a blessed week. Thank you very much.